The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today's episode is episode number 223. Today, we have an interview with a mom, and this one is not going to be pretty, if you will. Christine Naiman's heartbreaking story is one that plays out in far too many homes across the country. In her new book, Christine shares her journey as a mother and reveals the roller coaster of emotions that loving a heroin addict unearths. About Natalie, which is her book, opens a raw, honest dialogue about substance abuse. Christine opens up about the challenges of parenting an addict while validating Natalie's personal pain through sharing her poetry in the riveting new book about Natalie. Let's talk to Mother Christine Naiman. Christine Naiman, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you are you do you have your own history with addiction just out of curiosity no i don't okay so we're talking about one of your children yes tell us how that started what you know about it sometimes i'm not sure the parents know all of it but you probably know a lot about it now so tell us how that started in your family well my daughter natalie um just a wonderful, um, amazing, bright, quirky, brilliant uh, young lady, always has been, always always will be. She uh, fell into addiction quite early. Uh, she started, early? Uh, you know, I, she was uh, taking pills out of her grandfather's medicine cabinet at 12. Wow. Yeah, so, so very early. Um, I... Uh, and I, I obviously didn't know. But Christine, wait just one second. So sure. she didn't just wake up one morning and go, I'm going to go get pills out of my grandfather's medicine cabinet. Right. Do you know what led up to it? or? Well, I think, I think a lot of things led up to it. I mean, I think there was, um, she was always a very um, curious child. I think that was part of it. But now looking back, I think there was, I think there was depression. I think there was anxiety. I think there was um, all of the the byproducts of bullying. I think there was insecurity. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was self-medicating. I think that she realized that, um, Maybe if she took these things, it was a little bit of an escape. It would make her feel a little bit better, um, that type of thing. So I think that's really how a lot of it um, came about. Interesting. Did she have any friends that would do it with her or that she was involved with at the time that you, in retrospect, might have suspected? You know, I think throughout the years, I mean, I think she, she started alone. Um, I think, I think she did start alone. Hmm. I think that, um, as she progressed, she found, um, undesirable company to, um, do, um, those things with. And then by the time she was doing 
fentanyl and heroin, I think she was alone again. And um, that always kind of, that image always kind of breaks my heart because when she was older and it got to its probably worst part, I remember one day in exasperation saying to her, who do you do this with? And then it just ripped my heart out because with tears streaming down her face, she screamed back at me, no one, because no one does this. I'm alone in my room. And that was so powerful to me because um, the fact that she, she was alone in her room doing something she really clearly didn't want to do, but couldn't escape from. Right. Christine, what were the pills that she took out of her grandfather's medicine cabinet? Uh, Sleeping pills and pain medication. Okay. Okay. And how quickly, do you know how quickly she progressed to heroin? Did you, did you, did somebody stop the supply of those pills because often that's how people move to heroin well i think it i think that is part of it yes i um my my father had passed away and when the pills ran out the pills ran out and i think for a while she got them she got the equivalents off the street um or off other people but then i think that she just i think there was the need to feel more and feel more and she just kept upping it and that's how she progressed okay do you know how old she was when she started using heroin i believe 15. Oh. i i cannot imagine what it's like for you as a mother to go through this i i just i it breaks my heart to know that you have to go through this i can't i just anyway so has she gone through rehabs she has she has she's done several um outpatient rehabs we've kind of done it all we've done outpatient we've done um intensive outpatient we've done um inpatient and uh we've done so much i mean we've done the the therapies the psychiatrists the psychologists the addiction specialists um, we've done, a, we've done a lot of it. That's for sure. Okay. Were, were any of them successful at all? Like what, did, what was the longest she stayed clean? Well, I mean, I don't know in their, in their own way, they were all successful. And that's like something I kind of always want to say. Um, you know, we come from a very, um, I come from the devastated mom's perspective of all of this and, you know, meeting people that you never dreamed you'd meet, you know, um, and uh, is seeking the help of people you never thought that you would, you would, you know, look for. But I have to say, just as a footnote, I mean, I have never met anybody in my journey, and it's been quite a long one, that wasn't in it for all the right reasons. Um, they've, they've tried, they've, they've, they, they, they were all there with, with the best hearts and with the best skills. Um, I mean, to answer your question, I think everything worked for a little while type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, uh, you know, and you, you never really know when you think you finally have got it licked. Um, like we, first time we brought her home from outpatient or inpatient rehab, I thought this is it. I and mean, we're driving home in the car and we, you know, it was just 
magical. We stopped for dinner and it was just such hope. And she was talking with such plans and we were talking with such great plans. And then 11 days later, she relapsed, okay. you know, um, but then re, uh, more recently, uh, she went to rehab and um, it's, she's doing, she's doing well. She has been clean for about a year. And yeah, I know, which is a a huge accomplishment. I'm I'm just proud of her every single day because it's not easy, but um, we're, we're having, we're having some, a a little bit of success here. That's amazing though. A year is huge. It is. You know, I mean, we've had people on the podcast that have not been clean and sober much longer than that. Mm -hmm. Um, How old is she now, Christine? She's 24. Okay. So you've basically been dealing with this for 12 years. Yes. Wow. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I spent a few of those years in the dark, shamefully. But um, yes, when it finally came to light, we've, we've been uh, dealing with it a long time. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Well, and I appreciate you being willing to talk to us today because we've talked about this many times on the podcast. I think the first thing that happens with a parent, I know it would happen with me if one of my boys became addicted. I would, my first thought would be, what did I do wrong? I know that that would be where I would go. Uh And I think that what happens then though is that you, you, I think not you, but I think a person tends to then, you know, keep everything inside rather than seeking help because you don't want your neighbor to know that your kid's addicted. You don't want them to think you're a bad mom, you know? And so I think when, and we've had other moms on the podcast, but I think when a mom such as yourself is willing to, you know, talk about it. You, you wrote a book about it and I definitely want to hear that about that. You know, I, I just think that's huge because it, it's not easy in the same way that it's not easy for the addict to act, ask for help. It's not easy for the loved ones to ask for help and be open about it as well. And I, I, I applaud you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, we started, I mean, I started off at least, I mean, I, I, I started off in denial. Um, you know, I really, I mean, you just uh, shamefully, you've got that preconceived 
notion of what an addict is, of what an addict's family is. And then, you know, when it is first coming to light that your child's an addict, you, you know, it, I think it's instantly um, natural to say, oh my goodness, not, not my daughter, not my daughter. No, of course not. You know, we, you know, we're not that type of people. We're not, you know, all of that. And then when I was done saying not, not her, then, um, I turned it on myself. Oh, but not me because I'm not that mom. She's not that girl. I'm not that mom. I know you don't understand. I, you know, I make meatloaves from scratch and, you know, she went to Catholic school and no, this isn't us. And, um, then like you spoke about, then there's the shame and then there's the embarrassment and you go through that. Um, we'll, we'll fix this very quietly inside our own house. We'll, you know, bandage it all up and no one will ever know and it'll be fine. And we'll just never peak the speak of it again. And then of course, you know, that doesn't work and that's not how it happens. And, um, then you ask for a little bit of help and a little more. And, 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 you know, and I even went through that period where I was practically out running the streets screaming for help because, you know, I, then you go where you don't care who knows, just please, please, please help me. Right. Help my daughter. Right. So how did you come about writing the book? Cause part of it, she wrote, right? She did. She did. Yes. Probably the better part of the book. She's, mm -hmm. uh, she's a very, um, she's a very gifted poet. Um, I always thought that I would like to reach out and embrace other moms because as I was going through it, I mean, I, I, the, the, the shame, the embarrassment, the isolation, all of that. And I think when you feel all of that, um, the biggest part of getting over that is realizing that there are other people going through um, what you're going through in, in that. Right. I always thought, um, I always thought that I would write about our experience because I wanted to reach out to other moms. I wanted it to be a hug. I wanted to say, you're not alone. I've been there. I am there. Um, the thing that surprised me is I always thought that I would write about it after we had our happy ending after we had our completely happy ending and the end of the book would be very, you know, hugely positive and been there, done that and look at us. And then we were in the middle of it all. And I thought, you know, there's, there's lots of people thankfully living with happy endings. There's lots of people, but there's so many people living in the middle of it all day after day after day. And I thought that's where I am. Why don't I write about that? And um, that's how the story began. And um, I said to Natalie, I said, why don't, you know, be, do this with me. Uh, you know, I'll write a little, you write a little, we'll bounce it all back and forth. And um, she wasn't wild about the idea. And then I kind of pressed a little bit and she said, all right, I think what I can do is I can give you some poems. So I wrote the chapters and she wrote the poetry in between the chapters and I'm biased, but they're brilliant. Wow. That's awesome. And I know that that type of book, I know it gives help to other moms. So I know that you are achieving what you would like to achieve. I hope so. I really hope so. You were going to show the book. Yes. Yes. This is the book. It's called About Natalie. 
And it's written by me and my girl. And I'm assuming it's on Amazon. People can get it. It is on Amazon. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, I, what, if you could just give one message out to the mothers who are listening, what would you want that to be? What would you want to tell them? Well, my message is, is, is hopeful. My message is all about, um, I'm more of an unconditional love kind of person. I just feel that I feel that addiction is an illness. I think it's a disease. And I think that, um, it should be treated with just as much compassion and, um, kindness as when you have cancer or a broken leg or anything like that. Um, as far as other moms go, um, I would say, um, educate yourself. I mean, that's one place that I fell short. I was not educated. And when I was in her room cleaning slash snooping, I was not educated, uh, very well educated as to what I was seeing. So I missed a lot of the warning signs. I think that if I was educated, I would have, um, I would have found things sooner. Um, I would say if it's at all possible, skip denial. Like I went through, um, jump, jump right in, um, skip denial. Um, you'll get help faster that way. Um, but, um, I would also say, be easy on yourself. Mm. I would say, be easy, be easy, be easy on yourself. Take care of yourself. There's no, um, if you're, there's no shame in taking care of yourself. And if you are taking care of yourself, you're going to be better able to take care of them. Um, and, uh, take it minute by minute because, um, sometimes things don't get better right away Good. real fast. Yeah. I, li- I like that message. And I think your message about taking care of yourself, I think is huge because the one thing you have to be, I would say if you're a mom in your situation is you have to be strong. And if you don't you do. take care of yourself, you can't be strong physically, spiritually, mentally, any of it. Christine, Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm super excited that Natalie is in recovery. A year is huge. And we're all going to just be very positive that that year turns into two and three and four. And and there you go. Is she working somewhere? Does she work? She's going to school now. Oh, okay. She's going to school. She is, yeah, she's at the local community college and she's trying to, um, she's, she's getting a degree. So, um, all good. Awesome. Very, very cool. Oh, I'm glad your story has, has a happy ending. Thank you. Definitely a mother's worst nightmare to have a child that is addicted. I know that there are those of you who are experiencing that as you listen to this podcast please reach out and get help. Take care of yourself. Her message of taking care of yourself is very important. And also skip over the denial, skip over the shame, blame, and regret. You just need to get help for your loved one, no matter how you do that. And I don't want you to be a parent or a brother or a sister or a loved one who loses their loved one to addiction. So please, 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 Listen to this podcast and get help wherever you can. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. 
Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.